on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are aging gracefully alongside Samuel L. Jackson with The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray on Apple, hunting down heretics with Tim Key in The Witchfinder on BBC Two, and exploring the perils of moving house for the second week running, along with Tuppence Middleton and Martin Compton in ITV's Our House. And Martin himself joins us on the show a little bit later to tell us more. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that is sad to report that as of last week, Neighbours is no more. Having been unable to find a broadcast partner to replace Channel 5, the official Twitter account stated that after 37 years and almost 9,000 episodes, Ramsey Street's going to be bulldozed sometime this summer. How are we feeling, guys? End of an era, isn't it? I mean, like I said... It doesn't quite hit us as much as it does with you, James, weirdly. But um, <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, yeah, a real shame. End of a, an institution. I feel embarrassed I they because... Yeah, well, I feel embarrassed because when we discussed it on this very podcast, I, of course, blithely said, oh, no, it'll be fine. Someone will save it. Someone <laughs> else will show it. I can't imagine the ending. But no, it's fucking gone. It's absolutely yeah. 100% over. It's really... It is, I do feel quite poignant about it yeah like someone actually messaged in to say like who would we like to see come back for the final episode i'm saying <laughs> russell crowe russell crowe would 100 percent come back for the final episode of neighbors was natalie and brugley a neighbors or was she home and away she was neighbors she was neighbors oh, yeah, as was margot neighbors. robbie yeah margot can pop in it's gotta be kylie and thingy isn't it, does it? Have i to mean be kylie yeah Kylie yeah, and Jason, has to be. Kylie especially and Jason. for us. Kylie and Jason. Yeah, that was a good joke there. You missed it. <laughs> it's very good. No, we, no, we heard it. <laughs> oh, okay, <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I had that single. Don't you knock? I actually good. owned it on vinyl. Oh, I love That's it. That's very sweet. Oh, the idea of you like Chandler in the chair, like clutching onto your record. When they make the Netflix. 12 part biopic of your life James <laughs> uh, well, it's going to open it's going to well, it's going to open with you in prison obviously at the end of the story and it'll flash back and then it'll, it'll go back like back. 20 years earlier <laughs> you looking longingly at your Kylie and Jason single on vinyl <laughs> it's all going to be oh. fine Oh, amazing. Oh, my God. One of the episodes could be the fake James Dyer. So it could oh, be yes. an episode. The Cinder Swindler. Told through the eyes of yeah. the fake James Dyer. Little, little oh, really? yeah. this. Thank you, Boyd, also yeah. for saying how, that it would be that many episodes. I'm, 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 mm. I'm chuffed that you well, think my life is that interesting. Well, mate, no, it's mainly because by that point, every show will have to have at least 12 episodes because every show has to have. Do you know what? Yeah. do anything at 12 yeah. hours these days. Yeah. Any old yeah. shit. Yeah. Any old Everything shit, including the life of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that. It's the cold open and then flashback 20 years earlier, at which point mm. Boyd turns it off and refuses to review it yeah then it flashes forward to you watching the expanse like in your <laughs> wrapped in and a that's blanket. like the middle six or seven episodes it's just me yeah. watching and then talking about the expanse yeah, yeah. Expanse. oh that's yeah. definitely what how, this is how one man got addicted to a slightly obscure sci-fi oh, epic who am i going to sell it to boy it could be netflix it could be apple i'm gonna have to could put be, some yeah. real thought into this yeah it's pluto yeah, it's gonna go to pluto tv yes <laughs> absolutely and you'll only be able to watch it at the designated hour oh my god oh Oh my god speaking of speaking of pluto tv well not really but speaking of star trek generally uh that does bring us a little bit onto the what we've been watching section and i've been watching star trek picard you will be unsurprised to hear but i put up my three star review of picard season two yesterday 
Whoa. I did. How are you doing? I'm I'm a little upset. I'm a little (laughs) upset. Uh, Like, okay. So, look, just to be clear. So, it's not like it's bad. It's not bad. Of course, it's not bad. And I I mean, I'd be interested to read some of the other reviews and see what people, other people have thought of it. But... You know, and you will know this, of course, Beth. Like, it just feels very derivative because because while it's great and I love the characters, it feels like a compilation tape rather than a new thing. Right. And I'm not going to go into spoilers here. I'm not going to go into spoilers here. No, let me rephrase that. I'm not going to spoil anything that's not in the trailer. So I'm going to clarify it and say that. And, and I will be vague about everything else. So if you don't want to know anything about Picard, and I've only seen three episodes, to be fair, then do skip yeah. forward. But but, but there's not going to be properly spoilers. Everything I'm talking about is in the trailer. And I'm going to be vague anyway. So so it, it just the, it, the three main elements introduced so far are the Borg, you know, not new. Yeah. RQ, which we knew. We knew John Delancey was coming back. That's not a surprise. Omnipotent trickster Q. And the fact that they, A, go back in time to the modern era, a la The Voyage Home. And B, that you see like a dystopian alternate reality, which we I guess we kind of assumed was the mirror universe, except it isn't the mirror universe. It's like a different thing that's basically the same as the mirror universe, but they make a point of saying is distinct from the mirror universe. And I was just like... Are there going to be any new ideas in this at all? Or is it literally... Because, look, it's, I know Picard is fan service. That's, that's the whole inception of the show is fan service. It's a fan service in that it's it's a nostalgic trip down memory lane for, for Patrick Stewart. It's, it's one for us. Not so much you, Beth, but us, generally. And, you know, we're reliving Star Trek's greatest hits. But they're taking it very literally. And Star Trek, you know, Picard season one, and me and Sophie Petzl got into this quite a bit on Twitter, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is a little bit fan service But I think it walked a line whereby I, you know, it was nice. Like, I quite enjoyed that level of fan service because it felt aimed at me. Whereas this feels just like 100% fan service in that it just doesn't feel fresh or new or that they're doing it. And look, hey, I've seen three episodes. There's like seven more to go. Perhaps it will turn into like, there'll be all sorts of shit going on and I won't know what's happening. But at the moment, I'm feeling a little bit underwhelmed. That said, I put this all with the caveat that even though I am underwhelmed and I think it's derivative, I will watch every single episode the second it drops because I'm still over the moon to be around these characters again. So I'm very much enjoying that aspect of it. I just It's not quite what I wanted. What did you guys think of Picard when you watched it? I have yet to watch it, to be honest. I haven't had time. I'm a bu- I've had a busy week, but I will be watching it. <laughs> but I have did glance at some of the reviews, funnily enough, and they are pretty positive, I have to say. Like, I'm, I'll tell you now that IndieWire said it's better in almost every respect than season one. And in fact, it says it lives up to the desire of showrunner Michael Chabon, my my hero, original showrunner Michael Chabon. Is he still? It's not sure. Yeah, he's no longer is, is connected it? to it. Okay. To deliver a prestige no, he's, he's TV off now. drama. It's a Goldsman. Yeah. Right. To deliver a prestige TV drama rather than a sci-fi show. Now, I think that is a stupid sentence. Right. Fine. Because a sci-fi true. show... Yeah, can obviously yes, Star Trek, it, Yeah, but also if they're saying it's somehow been elevated, that isn't true because it's just repeating the same. Or the Radio right. Times have gone, and I've just Googled it. It just says Star Trek Picard season two review. Make it so so. I was like, I oh, mean, that's, that's pretty uh, good. Okay, I like that's that. Good. It's a good pun. <laughs> you annoyed? You didn't, you didn't think of that yourself? I should have thought of that. I'm annoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, annoyed. Um, but oh, well, maybe the American ones seem more positive than the British ones. I mean, that's a generalisation I've just decided upon. Um, yeah, but I, I can have a look. I, I mean, I, I liked I liked series one. You know, um, 
What's Sophie Petzl's view then? I don't know. Sophie, oh. if you are listening to this, can you please tweet us <laughs> yes. and immediately please. tell us what you think of Picard season two? Last time I looked at her feed, she was on holiday somewhere exciting. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Busy. Sophie is our official Star Trek correspondent, yeah. as I think we established when she came on the show. Yeah. Uh, so I do want to hear about that. But I, yeah, like, it's like things Collider like Guinan who oh, says what season, two, season two is off to a killer start. Yeah, I think the American. So, is it? Well, yeah. So, you I know. mean. Look, but that's the thing. Like, I did I enjoy every minute of it? Absolutely. But mm. I did feel a little bit like it felt like I've seen all of this stuff before. You're harder to please generally. I mean, obviously, we only know that after. Well, because <laughs> I've seen every episode of Star Trek. I think, you know, of course I've seen yeah. it before. But I just feel like I, I think there's a balance. And I think what they need to do is they need to work in the nostalgia and the familiarity. Like, bring Q back, absolutely. But bring him back to do new things. But this felt like there's a Voyager episode where they go back and meet Sarah Silverman. It felt very much much like that to me more so even than the voyage home and i just like again it just it felt like a mishmash of all these different things i've seen before and nothing in this one felt original to me and that disappointed me because and, and look, i didn't look, like season one i think goes to slightly less interesting places as the season goes on but i think it starts really strong and it feels fresh and it feels new and then you get all to the stuff in the cube when they first you know meet soji and stuff like, like and that that's great too i really enjoyed that and then the last few episodes I thought were, were less compelling. Whereas this, it starts in a slightly hoary place. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe it'll do the opposite and it'll just get fresher as it goes along. But yeah. Hoary? Hoary, as in not, not like as in they are whores. Just it's a hoary old trope. Um, just a weird sentence. But, but like, you know, so this one, like, you see Guinan again, Whoopi Goldberg's Guinan's back in it. But, but instead of being like the bartender of 10 Forward, the bar on the Enterprise, she's the bartender at number 10 forward avenue you see what they did there mm, um no. i don't know like maybe i'm maybe as you say i'm very hard to be maybe i've just gone off star trek in some way because <gasps> i'll tell you this i am two weeks behind on discovery and i'm in no fucking hurry to catch up blimey that's it maybe they've it's lost really me color me shocked yeah. Frankly, they set phases to tedium and I couldn't be bothered anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Have, let me ask you this. Is that, is that what you've watched, Picard? Pretty much, pretty much just Picard. It's been a very press week. So actually, it's been quite grueling. Um, Yeah. How many episodes of Peaky have you watched? I have, well, well, boy, mm, mm. I've only seen the first two episodes of oh. Peaky. I have not seen the third one, which I know you have seen. Okay. I did see those two episodes that I saw. I did see them last year, so that does make me sorry. About it. But <laughs> um, it's not a competition. Uh, I, uh, no, it, it's not a competition. But no, I haven't seen the third one. Well, let me just say, because I've been watching, yeah, I'm up to episode three, halfway through, effectively, mm, the, the sixth and last of the season. Because I got to review it for Empire. And th- let me say who the MVP, the new MVP is, without a doubt. I know who you're going to say. You know I'm going to say? Amber Anderson. Yeah, Mrs. Mosley. As Le- Lady <laughs> Diana Mitford. She's not yet Mrs. Mosley. They're not yet married. Now, this is an interesting thing, right? In real life, do you know what happened with Lady Diana Mitford and Oswald Mosley? Not a clue. You know, they got married at the home of um, Goebbels, Joseph Goebbels. What? Yeah. Absolutely. And the guest of honour was Adolf Hitler at their wedding oh in 1936. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Right. So I'm now... Now, this hasn't happened yet, so I'm not, but I am... Fast, he must be tempted, Stephen Knight, to dramatise this moment because it's kind of become... As you get to the end of episode three where there's a lot of Mitford and, and Nazi fascist stuff going on, it almost... The, the series is now, I would say, really being taken over by this whole idea of... Fascism on the one hand, right wing 
fascism and kind of extreme left-wing politics. And there's a whole bit where, you know, um, I think it's actually in episode one or two, where um, Tommy is explaining how the left and the right extremes of politics come and meet in the middle and all of this. And Stephen Knight is definitely making a point about extremism extremism mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So, we, and, and, and then, and, and the rise of fascism, the rise of Mosley and and lady diana and of hitler it's all bubbling up to the boil so i'm fascinated whether he's going to actually dramatize hitler and arriving in, i mean he must i say he must be sorely tempted because we're reaching the mid to late 30s anyway but she is phenomenal as diana mitford because you know how um i mean i like sam claflin as most i think he's doing he's doing a pretty good job but she is much scarier than him interestingly she is fucking terrifying mm, and has this kind of decadent good ruthlessness she's basically like this kind of um extraordinarily charismatic unbelievably posh evil psycho and and it's a really fascinating um character and a brilliant performance so yeah that that's my highlight of the three episodes so far of Peaky Blinders which I just think it reminds you you know I was toying with my star rating for it because you know there are bits of it that are not clunky, but like you know that political stuff I was mentioning. You know, I think it's definitely clear when Stephen Knight is is saying something. Is you know pr- yeah. he's exploring an idea, but those ideas are so interesting, and the visual spectacle of it is so incredible. Every shot, you know, is beautiful, and some shots are are, are, are spectacularly inventive. Like you know, every every episode is is a, a kind of wonderful little movie in itself. So. I just thought, standing back from it, going, well, you know, people might nitpick and say it hasn't reached. It's not. It's not like in terms of like fighting and the violence. There isn't that much outrageous violence yet in these three mm, episodes. Give it you know, time. Give it time, <laughs> right? I'm sure it will. It will. It will end in a spectacular bloodletting. You know, fighting and all of that. But so far, he's kind of getting his. He's getting all the chess pieces in 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 their right place. You know what I mean? Setting setting it for the inevitable conflagration that's going to happen. Um, but even then, you know, taking all that to account, it's still like a hundred times better than every other drama on TV mm-hmm. in terms of its ambition and scope. So I had to give it five stars in the end. So I'm really enjoying it. Is the bottom line. That was line. queried. That was queried. So it says, it doesn't Boyd give five stars to everything? And I was yeah. like, yes, that is act- absolutely well, accurate. I to defend myself. Gross, James. Gross yeah. everything. I mean, that's, it wasn't you who said it. But I, uh, but I said, no, no, in this case, Boyd is 100% correct. I think that's, I think that's, yeah. that's a fair uh, To a be fair, fair I get to, re- I reviewed, this is going to hurt, right? How brilliant. I gave that five stars i'm you know i I just get given some of the best things so that's my (laughs) yes i I have honestly given three or four stars before i must say i'm I'm slightly enraged that i haven't been sent episode three of picky like i'm really really upset about it although i will say i did have one screening victory this week and that's when i got the picard screeners it came via without naming and shaming cbs uh it came via the screening site that i truly hate it's the one that i had remember with dexter newblood where i had to you know i had to get a laptop and a lead it connected to the tv and then i had to put headphones in because i could because it will not let you stream like you can't like airplay or chromecast or any of that stuff and this time i was like no no i'm 100 not experiencing picard like this i will not i shall not stand for it this will not happen uh, and i complained to cbs in the u.s and i was oh, like I, I will not sake. i will not be reunited with jean-luc via the medium of my laptop screen and uh and they sorted it out for me 
they're, I they're, hate that you're rewarded for that sort of behaviour. <laughs> yeah. oh paid off. Yeah, they spoiled. sent me uh, uh, a CBS so app, which I installed and was able to then watch it on my TV. And I was like, yes, Picard in all its so so glory. Oh. Well, I've got to do that now. I'm now I'm on it. I have to do. I have to get that fucking app. Yeah, <sighs> you do. You do. But look, hey, look, Picard will pick up. I have I have firm firm belief that it will it will get better. Um, Beth, what have you been watching? So. One that I forgot to mention last week, uh, obviously Maisel's back for its fourth mm. season, and I'm surprised oh, yes. at myself that I didn't. I'm it was also born. surprised at you, and a little yeah. disappointed. Oh, no, you're not. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. It's... Marvellous? <laughs> it's, mar- it's consistently marvellous. I'm not taking it away from that. I just don't... It, it is very busy. It's beautifully made. Like, every moment of that show is like exquisitely composed and thought out and the costumes and the production design is gorgeous there's this incredible set piece in the first episode involving a ferris wheel like it's just absolutely gorgeous and really enthralling and engaging in that way i just don't know like obviously the first season came out what three years ago four years ago at this stage and i don't know if Maybe it's just not caught up with the times or maybe, I don't know. I'm just not engaging with the storytelling and the show writing quite as much. Also, the most bizarre thing happened in one of the episodes from last week. So much they, they released two episodes every Friday on what we call it now, Prime Video. Prime Video. Um, mm-hmm. Prime Video. They released two episodes every Friday. And so I watched the ones from the week just gone. And there's a storyline in one of the episodes that has been taken directly from Gilmore Girls. <sighs> and then there's a there's a, a few lines as well. Like the Gilmore Diehards amongst us will, oh, will know what I'm talking about. Gilmore Diehard sto- is a show I would watch. <laughs> but carry Gilmore on. Gilmore Diehard. Um, there is, yeah, there's a scene in a storyline that's taken ex- directly from Gilmore Girls to do with to do with theatre reviews. It's niche, but it's in there. And then there's there's a a metaphor that's used in Gilmore Girls that is also used in Maisel. And it's one of those weird things that is so niche that I don't know if it's rewarding enough for people who are fans of Gilmore Girls. Also, is Gilmore Girls a big enough show to actually... I mean, I know I absolutely love it, but is it that big a show to kind of be making meta-references in another show? It was very weird. It was very weird to me, and I can't put my finger on... So Amy Sherman Palladino, who created both shows, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. she is. So she is deliberately, presumably, referencing her own work while the, she's catching off herself, isn't she? She's. She's. Um, I think you know. I've, I've seen other showrunners do that before, where they like people. They like to you know, kind of have little in jokes for their fans of their work. I mean, I, yeah. I, that's that's my only assumption. Yeah, I just things like they've got some of the the same cast members are coming up in the new season as so Milo Ventimiglia is going to be in the upcoming series. It's not he's not showed up yet, and then also um, Kelly Bishop as well, who obviously played Emily Gilmore, uh, is going to be in it. So there's plenty of crossovers as it is, but this just felt a bit. It just felt a little bit off kilter even for this show, and I was a little bit unsure. But I'm, I'm obviously I'm really enjoying it, and and it's just exquisite. But yeah, it's the writing has just kind of petered off a little bit for me. So that was that was me, and then obviously 
and I'm sure James, you're not going to miss this, but we've got to talk about the Euphoria finale, which aired yes. this week for yes. us at the time we're recording. And just to be um, clear, Euphoria is now the second most watched HBO show after Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, yeah. not even yeah. not even HBO Max. HBO Max would be, you know, because I know that Peacemaker is like the biggest show on HBO Max, and that's you know, it's I wouldn't a lot know because we haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, um, but. It's finished. It's the second biggest. And uh, honestly, for the love of God, I like, couldn't tell you why. <laughs> Even at this stage, I don't get how that I is can. the second biggest show behind of Game of Thrones over The Sopranos, over Sex and the Sea, over every other mm. huge culturally impactful show. Sexy, sexy young people with... It's the with, peen count. <laughs> yeah, sexy young people naked doing sexy stuff. And on top of that, you know, a lot of ultra-violent kind of gangstery type shit, um, which kind of took over, didn't it, in that final episode? Yeah, I would say um, it's a re- it's an absolute recipe for hit for hit for me. I don't think I, I, without wanting to sound too um, smug, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. It's just because it is because because it's got you know it it feels like a really dangerous you know use it, that horrible word sexy show so i think people are like oh and, and word of mouth is now like oh my god you know, this is a show which includes 30 penises in one scene and you <laughs> yeah. know people are like what the fuck is going on with this thing so i think its reputation has spread and you know I, I, that last episode i i kind of feel it's really it's the masterpiece episode was the drug withdrawal episode for zendaya yeah. right and i think yeah. that he i do think I, I, I was, we've discussed it every pretty much every episode this 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 season where all the mixed feelings that we have you're less mixed than than me but I do think in the end you know he literally cutting he was cutting between in those last two episodes this gangster this drug dealing gangstery storyline with with a woman putting on a satirical stage show about the people in her life and the satirical stage show stuff was brilliant absolutely loved it but the whole gangstery violent thing i just think it's a different show i just think i don't it didn't feel like it started and i know that there's been that that drug guy is is brilliant you know and it's brilliantly directed and all of that i just find that whole thing a bit a, a bit contrived and not you know supposed it's a show about teenagers at school at the end of the day and there's yeah. a hell of a lot of like five thousand cops turning up for a big gunfight with a couple of kids you know so yeah my mixed feelings continue to be mixed but at the highs have been amazing but the but it's such a problematic show. I'm using that word it's again. It's problematic. It's tonal chaos. <laughs> yeah. Some of the writing is is just bad and ill conceived. Like it's just, I guess it is understandable. It's just disappointing. And I'm speaking as someone who watched, you know, the first season twice and really thought we were onto something really exciting. And then the quality just just not only dipped, but it just sort of it just sort of went off to these places. I, I imagine as well, like social media has played such a large part in it. I maintain if I hadn't watched the, the final episode, I could have seen every single frame of it memeified on social media. Like it yeah. really has taken on a, a kind of life of its own in, and James is going to hate this terminology, but in the memosphere, <laughs> it's really kind of <laughs> grown into like yeah. its own thing. It's the I think it's officially the most tweeted about show in TV history, more than Game of Thrones. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. so that in itself, but yeah, it is. It is just straight up bonkers that that's 
Somehow, the most successful show behind Sopranos, behind Game of Thrones, is The Wire HBO, or was that? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah very few oh, people watch The Wire. Yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> famously, hardly anyone watched that. Yeah. A third of this podcast has never <laughs> watched The Wire, <laughs> and that has always been the case since this podcast started. So <laughs> true, that is true. The guy who was whose name I forgot was Angus Cloud Fesco, the drug dealer yeah. character. Yeah, he who and, and his relationship with. Um, Judd Apatow's daughter, who's like, you know, you know me for names, um, who to put yeah. on the play. That's been one of the highlights. That was lovely. Like that, you know, touching relationship with drug dealer, dude, mumbly, kind of mumblecore drug guy and lovely, yeah. te- lovely teenage daughter. Nepotism baby. Nepotism baby, yeah, right. Um, was one of the highlights of the show. And everyone is obsessed with him now, Angus Cloud, aren't they? He's become like yeah. this fucking, because he's got his drawl that talks like that, you know, croaky drawl. <laughs> Croaky jolly guy. Um, uh, I really want to see an interview with him IRL in real life because I'm not sure just yeah. how much he's acting, how much that whole performance is him. Can and you how, imagine not, if he spoke yeah. like like, like, a, like a completely yes. different person? Like I'd me. love it. I would love it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, considering the absolute nepotism of the show, I do think Maud Apatow is good, though. I think she is really good. Do you know what I mean? So on the one hand, think- you can't... You can get work through nepotism and yet be really good. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. I think she's absolutely fine. I do <laughs> maintain that there fine. are better performers in that show that were relegated very much mm. to the sidelines. Mm. I mean, I don't like to kind of engage with gossip and stuff, but there has to have been something that happened behind the scenes. There's been a lot of speculation that some some shit went down. And that's the only reason I can think that they've taken these brilliant, brilliant performers. People like Barbie Ferreira, who's going to be in Jordan Peele's new film, you know, like um, the girl that plays Jules as well, you know, really important trans character to have on screen. And they're barely in this season. It's, yeah, yeah, you you can't help but speculate. Interesting. Interesting. Now you've got my brain's fevered brain is now speculating in itself. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I just want to give a final shout out because I I watched the final episode, and this will probably say into news, but I watched the final episode of The After Party, the um, Chris Mm. Miller show with my beloved Tiffany Haddish in it. Um, And it was the payoff I needed and wanted it to be. It was so satisfying um, to the end of that season. Um, and then, yeah, it's going to be returning, which is, is very exciting. So we absolutely have to get her back on. <laughs> oh, my God. Your BFF, yeah. Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. Oh, my God. That interview presumably was just she'll, carnage. She, she'll be the connecting tissue between the different seasons. Like, presumably, she'll be investigating another, yeah, another. Yeah, she's confirmed to return. Right. So she'll be like the Jennifer Coolidge um, right. character, which is which is brilliant. Um, yeah. So you know who did it and you're happy with the with the resolution? Yes, and that's all they'll say. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but very satisfying, very cool. Just love to see Jamie Dimitrio really getting to run with some great, um, some great material outside of staff, staff experts. Absolutely. Saw Jamie at the Comedy Awards last night, of course. You mentioned the Comedy Awards. Now, I saw yeah. you yesterday in a suit, and you are mm. even now in a kind of rakish sort of unbuttoned shirt vibe, <laughs> uh, which is unusual for this podcast. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, was it an all-nighter with these two separate shirt occasions? Like, what's been going on? No. Well, this is – let's we'll segue officially into news. Um, that uh, I went to the Comedy Awards, which were, which were held at 4 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. Wednesday as we speak. No party yeah. like a four o'clock in the afternoon party. <laughs> right. I mean, that does sound like heaven to me, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. But you know why? I found out why. It was everyone was a bit mystified as to why this was happening. Um, For comedy? And it turned out. 
No, it turned out that the NME awards were the, were in the evening. And you'd uh. be, be surprised or not by the number of crossover guests. <laughs> so, for example, Ashling B., who was, who was presented the first award at the Comedy Awards with Khadif Kirwan, um, she was went on to go to the NME Awards, where she, I think she won an award. In fact, um, so and for there her were like debut album. I'm very confused. No, <laughs> NME <the> Award. <laughs> You're so. I mean, so. I would buy and listen to that. So. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would. Um, no, no, no. They have categories for like comedy actor and you know. I like- actually want to give a special shout out to the Enemy Awards because they made it and maybe we'll get into the news but they made away with um gendered awards so it was best right tv performance best tv show it, it didn't have best actress best actor this year so yeah it was best best um person and person. the results were great i saw feel good one which was which yeah. is wicked yeah may mm. martin also there uh, also both yeah so there, there yeah. was all these all these comedy shows that and and it was weird because like it, it, people kept leaving you know i mean I was I was on a table kind of at the side and I could see like certain key people leaving at various times to clearly go to the bloody NME Awards. So you didn't leave to go to the NME oh, Awards. No. Oh god no. 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 I'm too no. old. I'm too old for that. Boy, did you vote in the comedy awards or were you just there? I helped um establish the long lists. I helped with the long ah. lists. The voting was done entirely by the public, interestingly. And I'm surprised they didn't ask me. I'm everyone's surprised they didn't ask you? you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think I should yeah. definitely have voted in the National Comedy Awards, seeing as how I have such a, ca- oh a keen yeah. eye for comedy. Yeah. I think you were specifically barred. The only only person in the world <laughs> barred and voted. Voted be passed around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was gonna open that up for debate really, because I think it's interesting. All the categories were voted for, apart from the Lifetime Achievement ones. Sharon Horgan won um, a Carolina Hearn Award for writing, for like Lifetime mm-hmm. Achievement in writing. Um, and Billy Connolly won a Lifetime Achievement Award generally. But all of, but for example, so Sex Education was the big winner of the night. It won the Main Scripted Comedy Award. Mm. It won all the acting awards. Emma Mackey, actress. Asa Butterfield, who was really funny, gave a really funny speech mm. about how he thought he might have a chance of winning when he saw on Twitter thousands of people in Malaysia or something getting together to vote for him, you know, and he was kind of joking about how he has got a fan base and the show's got a huge fan base and that's why it won. And so you've, and Shuti Gatwal won outstanding role. Um, so it was the big winner of the night and that was entirely because it's it's voted for by the public. And so, you know, comparing and it's it brilliant. to... And it's great. Oh, don't get me wrong. We all love it. Absolutely love it. But I think that, I think it would have been le- slightly less of a, of a clean sweep of the main categories mm. if it had been voted for by juries, you know, as the BAFTAs are. Well, what would you have picked, Boydy? Um, if you had been the only juror, what would have the won? The only juror. Um, I would have certainly would have given Sex Education a, a good go. But... Um, Maybe like this way up, Ashling's show this way up, and Motherhood and Motherland. Sorry, not Motherhood, Motherland, which got nominated. Shows like that would have got more of a look in, I think. Um, yeah, both uh, excellent choices. But I know what you mean. Like they're yeah. less sort of crowd pleasing, less of a rabid fan base. Right. Yeah, it's definitely got the fan base. Is that that's the thing? Yeah, hundred percent the fan base. But it's not um, like so, it's yeah. like when when Mrs. Brown's Boys the movie won, and you're just like, fuck <laughs> me, what is going on? Over Fleabag, yeah. like it's and you're yeah. just like, what is happening? Yeah. You know, in this yeah. you're like, do you know what? This this is a great show. It's clearly popular with viewers and also with with you know critics because we all think it's brilliant as well. And as does uh, everyone uh, yeah. I've ever spoken to. So it hits that sweet spot. You're right. But in general, do you think my, this is my question? Should awards okay. be decided? Yes by yes. essentially industry experts and peers or by the public industry experts and peers okay yeah 
<laughs> well, no. So, so my main reason for saying that, and I and I think mm. it's based on an assumption, which is a big assumption. It's based on the assumption that the people they get to vote for these things watch everything, and members of the public, I think, would just vote for the things they know. And yeah. and members of the public, I'm led to believe, have these things called social lives. I, I don't <laughs> quite understand what they are, but I'm led to believe that such things exist, and that oh people go out and do gosh. things other than watch television. Now, obviously, I'm unfamiliar with that as a concept, but but I do think it's good for people who as a job are forced to sit down and watch a huge breadth of this stuff because it gives you a greater pull to draw upon that's that's my that's my that's two cents very good my point. Tuppence, well, if you will good tuppence because i i do think that um that getting juries of in quotes experts and industry people and you know um peers of the people they are considering and they're very strict rules to these because i've been on you know rts and and um bafta juries and you mm. have as you say you have to watch for the rts i was on the cam- panel for the R- R- rts comedy award this year and there were about 20 25 entries and we had to watch all of these entries and we had to discuss every show and it's very carefully meticulously fair process and you've got, you know, 12, 13, however many people giving their opinion. And, and although that might seem less democratic than the general public voting for something, I think it is fairer in the end. And I think because awards, you know, what's the point of awards? The awards are, are, are rewarding excellence. You know, popularity yeah. is popularity. Ratings, that's that's how you measure. You know, we're talking about Euphoria. It's the second most popular mm. show on HBO ever. We all, now we all know that. Whether it's mm. the yeah. best will be decided by... You know the people who vote for Emmys, etc. And I think those two separate things, keeping them separate, is is better. I, yeah. I no, but it, but back to this voting thing. See, I, what I find quite interesting when you talk about uh, like BAFTAs, like this jury idea, which isn't used that often because it's normally just a great big poll of voters, and they just whack in their anonymous votes, whether they've seen the shit or not. Nobody really knows. Whereas the jury thing, everyone has to. But I think there's a middle ground between having a jury where you all sit and discuss it, so you know you've seen it, and they can name and shame people who haven't. But then the BAFTA jury thing, where you can only base it on specific episodes that's mental like that's mm. just really mm. weird like hey i've mm. seen all the sex education i don't care you can only base it on the following 30 seconds from this episode you're like what? <laughs> that, well, that's that deranged. is that is because that's the that is if you like the ultimate way of making it fair because you can't literally insist that every jury member watches all eight hours of sex education but you can insist they watch the hour of the episode they've selected so that's why they do it like that because that's literally they they absolutely make you sure everyone watches every single moment of every episode that you're considering of every show. But you yeah, so that's the that's the thinking behind it. I don't even remember what part of the podcast we're even on. Um, I think we're okay. News, we'll talk about yeah. the other reason you wore a suit in the yes. actual news section, which we'll get to. But we haven't done a listener question, so oh. as is my way, I've not informed you of the listener questions because that's you know. That amuses me. Um, but as we, so we've had a few. I will I'll read out one which I had in from a listener called Jenna Jovi, who is a long-term Pilot TV fan. And she wanted to write in and inform us that there is a new kids sci-fi series launching on iPlayer on March 6th, which, as we record, will be in a couple of days' time, uh, called Silver Point, uh, which, and this is the important bit, is her first credit as a telly writer. How exciting is that? Uh, she's not the showrunner, but she's been right. She's in the room. She's in the writers' room, so she's very, very excited. It's like she said, it's like a B- CBBC take on Stranger Things, which nice. she concedes sounds a little odd, uh, but she thinks it's very, very good. So I would say, if you wish to support one of our listeners, Jenna, then do check out Silver Point on iPlayer on March the sixth. If your kids, you think, would enjoy Stranger Things, 
But that's not this week's listener question. Uh, this week's listener question comes from, well, we've got a couple of them. So Gary War wrote in and said, from your favourite book, film, graphic novel, podcast, computer game, you get the gist, what would you like to be made into a TV show? And the reason I mention this is because we kind of got into this a bit on the Empire podcast uh, and about whether or not, in fact, it wasn't on the Empire podcast. We got into this on the recent Uncharted spoiler special podcast. And it was kind of, Amon was very, very upset because Uncharted had been turned into a film and he didn't like it because it wasn't the game he loved. And kind of the question came up as to, if you do love a thing, whether it be a book, a film, a comic, whatever it is, do you want to see it made into another medium? Like, are, are you not always destined for heartbreak when you see something translated to something else? Like, is it a cause for joy or is it a cause for sadness? So that's a, that's a tricky one. So do you have stuff you would like to see translated or do you have stuff that you love so much you definitely don't want to see it translated? I mean, it really does depend on how accessible the the thing is like and i do think that obviously production companies are getting better at that stuff i mean we had foundation which obviously i didn't carry on with but you know there was that whole thing about how it was like completely untranslatable and yet here we are there's this big extensive expensive show that they've managed to do i know they're doing it with the sandman on netflix so i know that the possibilities are opening up as to actually being able to make things that are formerly untouchable into actual beautifully made loyal adaptations Mm. and then there's sometimes i don't know it's things like and i think it might have already been greenlit but i read an amazing uh a real page turner late last year called the final girls support group um it's a really fun meta um story about it well about a a group of final girls from and, and they kind of it's it's kind of a spin on the different big horror franchises um and it's this group of of girls who really have survived these horrible instances and they meet for a support group every week and then someone starts to come for them and so they're getting picked off one by one and they're having to use their kind of horror knowledge to navigate and and outrun this uh serial killer so it's, it's very very cool but as i was reading it and kind of diving into these kind of very meta layers i was like well this reads like a like a screenplay so it feels like it's already even though i'm really enjoying it on my own the fact that i'm already reading this as a screenplay means that it's it's destined to be that and you've just got to make peace with the fact now i think that nothing nothing is sacred anymore so that's a very long way of saying I really don't mind. It's going to get done anyway. <laughs> if I care that much, I won't watch it unless I have to for this. Yes. Um, yeah, I, it is tricky with our jobs, isn't it? Because you are inevitably faced with the stuff you love being shown back to you sometimes in horrible forms. But so, so, so let's talk genre stuff for a minute. So, so do you have any genre stuff that you love? Because like I, I may have cast aspersions on your lack of Middle Earth love, but you do love a bit of Star Wars, even if yeah. you don't like The Expanse. Now, do you like? <laughs> is there like, like, do you have like a, a genre thing that you love, love? Mm, I don't know. No, not really. I'm very, um, very much committed to a fantastic story over anything else. Mm. I like things that, I've said this to you before, I like things that do interesting things with genres and really push the envelope there. But no, I'm not committed to what each and every one thing. Um, and I like it that way. So yeah, I, I'm yeah, much more drawn to a good story. I am rolling my eyes a lot about the Star Wars stuff. I think Solo was a big mistake. I think most of Boba Fett went too far into showing the origins of so many things. I mean, 
I'm going to be careful what I wish for now after wishing for that rancor because yeah. <laughs> that was that was too far. Um, but yeah, no, I do think inevitably everything is up for grabs now. Absolutely everything, more than before. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think especially with the rate of which, you know, we're getting big names now in telly writing and, and show running and you know, big talent doing it as well. I think we're in a much better place than we were even like five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that is fair. I think that is fair. Boydie, other than having Arsenal adapted <laughs> for the big screen, uh, <laughs> is there anything in particular that stands out for you? Well, James, Amazon Prime Video is making a series about Arsenal as we speak, so um, not a drama, a documentary series. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, part, it's part of their all or nothing strand. I've, I think I've answered this question before, so um, listeners of old will recognise when I when I bang on about. Well, Gormenghast, have you read the Gormenghast? Oh, it's going to be a books? Michael Shabon thing, isn't it? It's going to be a Michael Shabon is thing, Is it the Yiddish Policeman's Union? It is the Yiddish Policeman's Union, so yes! I was going to get to that. Yeah, I pay attention. <laughs> well done, well done. All right, so yeah, my one of my favourite books of all time is The Yiddish Policeman's Union by Michael Shabon of Star Trek Picard fame. And yes. it is a legendary, it came out in 2007. It's an alter, set in an alternate version of history whereby a city in Alaska has become the Jewish homeland and Israel does not exist and um this this um jewish homeland in alaska has become this massive metropolis albeit within the alaskan climate and there's a big crime mystery in the middle of it that a politician's advisor i think it is is killed at the beginning and the and the book focuses on a detective trying to investigate this thing with all of these political you know anti-semitism and and zionism explores all these huge big themes which i'm fascinated by and it's a fucking masterpiece and it's kind of a alternate history um crime noir crime story and it's and the reason why i'm desperate to see it turned into a tv series it was supposed to be a movie made by the coen brothers it never happened and they would have been perfect to adapt it because they're obviously they're geniuses anyway but they're jewish they've got the whole his they've got the whole thing down it's then it was optioned to, to for a tv series i think about like four years ago now i'm still fucking waiting for this tv series to, to come along with i guess michael shabon and i think his wife were working on it together but i haven't heard anything about it i mean it's going to need a fucking huge budget because it is in a in a it, almost like a blade runner style you know alternate world so um it ne needs that budget but you know Someone can afford it. Netflix can afford it. So I still hope hmm. to see that legendary book turned into, and it's cinematic in itself. It's beautifully cinematic, the writing and the the way it's the, the kind of set piece sequences. So I'm desperate to see that. And my other one is is the Gormenghast trilogy, which has been made into a into a couple of TV series. I think quite a kind of low budget BBC one that it also needs a huge budget because Gormenghast is like the Lord of the Rings, but good. And it's it's um it's <laughs> whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> Honestly, it's so much better. It's so much better written than the Lord of the Rings, and it's not. It's it's like a, a, br a beautifully written. It was Mervyn Peake came out in the forties. The first one came out in the forties, um, and it's kind of fantastical. But no nothing actually fantastic, literally fantastical, happens in the first two books. It does a bit in the third. I seem to remember, but it's still kind of the way it's written and the and and the world building is. Lord of the Rings like it, it, and it is like it's creating this this alternate world kind of thing so it is a fantasy really it's just a, a, a it's kind of the ultimate I think literary brilliantly written and thought-provoking book so I want to see a full-on huge budget version of Gormagast and I can't believe and I think it was also that it was there was news years ago that one of the streamers was going to do exactly that but I haven't heard anything about it recently 
those would be my two. Yeah, I mean, there are. I, we don't have enough time to go through all the various things that I see adapted. No. But uh, The Last of Us, clearly, I'm very excited about, but also nervous about because I think it's extraordinary storytelling in its current format. And, you know, while Pedro Pascal is amazing, he's not Troy Baker, and that's who I've associated with this role. And Ashley Johnson will not be playing, you know, it's going to be Bella Ramsey uh, playing Ellie. And, and, but hey, look, it's going to be different. I hope it's still going to be great. Um, but that makes me a little bit nervous. Weirdly, lot of all the things, there are just so many things, but I'm going to pick one thing solely by virtue of the fact that I don't think I've spoken about it before on the podcast. I've banged on a lot about my other fantasy series many many times and that is there is the beginning of a series uh, which came out last year called empire of the vampire by jay christoph and despite having a title which makes it sound trashy it is not it is an extraordinary book it is the best fantasy book i think i have read in a great many years uh, and it's really 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 good it's kind of dark fantasy got horror aspects to it but it's just it's beautifully told it's a framed narrative it's all first person uh, and it goes places you don't think it will go and it does things you don't think it will do and it's a really vivid beautifully rendered world um essentially taking place in a world where there's this thing called day's death which means the sun doesn't come up anymore which means obviously the vampires are in charge um but it's it's really 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 good and nowhere near as trashy as it sounds i highly recommend empire of the vampire by jay christoph but honestly the thing with the kind of stuff that i like be it you know sort of like fancy stuff science fiction stuff the expanse whatever you want like it's all about having worlds that are beautifully drawn like these that i can get lost in like these realities that i can just immerse myself in so i almost think you can't have too much of it because the more time i can spend in these worlds the happier i will be so bring me all the episodes give them to me now so you know any of these is why game of thrones is so wonderful because it goes on for such a long time you can inhabit that world for this huge period of time same with the expanse you can just live there and that's you know that that makes me happy i like it so there you go gary i hope that has uh, has answered your question to a certain extent um let's see what else we had here oh i had one but this is a quick one it's a very quick one it comes from twist and do share another one Yes, we do another Jeez. one. Uh, wow. And she wanted to know, because she, said, she knows that I've talked about the West Wing Wheatley, but she's wondering if we listen to any other TV podcasts. I think she's looking for a recommendation. I don't think oh. we should be promoting our rivals, but fuck <laughs> it. Do you listen to any other TV podcasts? Oh, my God. Yes. I, did I speak to you about this last week? The um, Always Sunny podcast. Oh, okay. I already told, told oh. about this one. No? It's possible. When you start saying Always Sunny, I immediately start doing something else. So it's entirely <laughs> possible I just wasn't listening. It's it's a really funny one, and it makes me think of you, James, because I think, because obviously the three men at the core of this show, yeah, I think I have maybe spoken about it, but I'm going to do it again because Lord knows you repeat yourself <laughs> enough on this bloody podcast. But the three the three men who have made this show since they were in their early 20s and are now in their late 40s have obviously been on this like incredible journey together. And, you know, it being television are absolutely nothing like the characters that they've created. So on on screen, they are some of the most abominable human beings in existence, just sheer trash in human form. Um, but in reality, three of the like sweetest, like most supportive friends who have obviously been through so much together on this um show you know they've had families they've had you know ups and downs all sorts of things have happened at that time and it's just the three of them sitting down they go through an episode 
um, an episode. They don't even lock down a structure for the, at least the first three or four episodes. They just kind of go in and sort of see what happens. Um, and it's so charming and tender and really, really funny for completely different reasons to why the actual show is funny. So I would, <laughs> if you are, are like, oh, I should entertain Always Sunny, but don't actually want to sh- watch the show, the podcast is really, really lovely. They're really generous with like anecdotes and stuff about the shows, but really to just sit and listen to the three of them reminiscing about their lives as part of the show. It is so lovely, like absolutely wonderful. So I would definitely, definitely recommend that. Sorry, I wasn't listening. What was that, Beth? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. But that is I think I think that category of specific show um podcasts, you know, like the West Wing one, um, which I listen to on I know you James listen to that pretty religiously. So good. The West Wing Weekly was so good. Yeah. They're not all great. Like because I when they have cast members involved or people involved in the show involved, it's like it instantly gives you that in. Like it's really interesting. But they're not all brilliant. I would say the Battlestar Galactic cast was a little lacking, I found. Right. Right. Yeah, and there's an obsessed BBC do obsessed with now, which they're doing what I think Peaky Blinders they're doing now. So after each week's Peaky Blinders, you can go and listen to podcasts, which does usually the best thing about them, I agree, is when they have access to creators and cast. And the they did one for Line of mm. Duty, um, and the last season of that I thought was really good because they got like proper, you know, all they they got cast members, um, and they, they probably had, like deep dives to take that to use that tiresome phrase into. Um, and and that's what podcasts are for, aren't they? Like, yeah, could give you that kind of unlimited yeah. amount of time to analyse the shit out of every single all these great TV shows. So those things, but general TV podcasts, I deliberately don't. I used to listen a bit Custard TV, who's um, you know online friend uh, friends of the of the podcast who are very nice yeah. about our podcast. But I would listen to that. I'm sure much more than I do. But I would I don't like to be you know influenced too heavily by other like with my, I do an mm. Arsenal podcast and I don't listen to I try not to listen to any other Arsenal podcast. So I'm not spouting the same bullshit <laughs> opinions about Arsenal <laughs> that all the other 25 <laughs> Arsenal podcasts that are available spout that makes that makes perfect sense i i I like the 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 episode ones but i don't listen to them a lot because i'm a big fan of audiobooks and i will say that the empire of the vampire audiobook is excellently narrated um but i um so i like to do that when i'm driving when i'm walking when i'm doing stuff around the house when i'm doing all sorts of things i don't like you know i like to keep myself occupied so i like that so i don't listen to an awful lot of podcasts i pick and choose them quite carefully from a tv point of view the only one i'm really listening to tv wise at the moment is tie on that guy which is yawn the expanse one uh which is from one of the co-creators and one of the stars of the expanse uh and that's that's a lot of fun i mean you Um, should be on that show Uh, why are you on it i mean you should be (laughs) one of them is the guy who created the show the other one is one of the main stars of the show i'm not sure i have a lot to contribute to it other than I think Could it's you really imagine good. you going on a James Mailing to the <laughs> oh, actual creators of Expanse? Oh, I think you're fine. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, get off, get off our podcast. I think that would end badly for me. I'm yeah, just saying. yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure that would so. go well. Oh, I, like, I really like Monkey Tennis, which is the Alan Partridge podcast, that's, oh, and I've been on that yeah. a couple Ooh. of times. Um, and that's a love. I love those guys. The guys that do that. Yeah. It's really, it's really good. Yeah, that's what I mentioned. 
Well, I think we've exhausted at least 15 listener questions there. So if you would like to have your question answered on this podcast, do please send it to us on one of the various social media platforms at Pilot TV Pod, where Sophie will rescue it from the social media seas and send it my way on a little life raft. Uh, but time now for this week's guest, and it is Martin Comston. He is a Scotsman in possession of what I would say is the best London accent ever delivered on screen as Steve Arner in Line of Duty. Uh, we've most recently seen him in uh, traces and rather briefly in last year's excellent vigil uh, and he's also the start of this week's our house on itv which features what can only be described as an on-screen shed shag but uh that thankfully is not how we met him this week rather he sat down for a chat with boyd we're live on the pilot tv podcast with martin compton in his cupboard in las vegas Welcome, Martin. <laughs> hey, boy, how you doing? Yeah, good, it's thanks. It's actually quite, it's funny, because when I came in here a minute ago, I was panicking, but it's actually really peaceful. Yeah, a little yeah. a little home away from home, yeah. maybe. Especially, yeah. you know, as we speak on this day when, you know, World War Three could be about to break out. I don't want to be depressing. I know, anything, I but... know, mate. It's a funny thing, that, as well, because I, I mean, I viewed uh, yesterday, and it was asking um, how excited I am about the Scotland-Ukraine game, and it's just, I oh, mean, yeah. you can't imagine, like what's going to happen there you know uh, in some ways you hope the game's going ahead just so we can show our solidarity with Ukraine and they can go about it I mean but I mean the players and staff there are going to have families in the middle of a war zone so you know it's yeah, yeah just seems a more more depressing news cycle but thanks for starting off that that's okay them. that's okay <laughs> the other thing I was going to start off with frankly just to get it out of the way the most important thing to know is um is what is Kieran Tierney like Arsenal legend in real life yeah uh, K- Kieran is a top boy um <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing rumours that Madrid and Barcelona are oh, sniffing. No, surely not. Um, no. Which I mean, we've got a bit of a sign-on fee, so I'd, I'd like to see Kieran over there. But you no, know, he's a he's a top lad, and he's one you knew even just his talent aside. You know, he's such a grounded guy, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised he doesn't have the armband down there. Oh, to be same. honest, you know, he just yeah. he just um he just drives people on. But he's just a, I mean, I was gutted. Really gutted to see him leave, and I'm sure he was gutted to go because a Celtic boy through and through. But he's also he's got that much talent that you also want to see just how far he can go. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and we love him. We absolutely love him. Yeah, I'm sure you must miss him. Yeah. Well, I've got that out of the way. I just needed to know um, desperately. <laughs> On to the matter at hand, which is our house. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just like it's. I feel it's quite a unique show in a way because on, it starts off. You think, oh, this is a quite high concept kind of psychological thriller. What happens when this you you know yeah. someone returns home and it's and their home their home is being occupied by a new people new family think they've bought mm. it but it's also as you as you keep watching it a study of a marriage isn't it in a way of of a marriage in crisis what was that what you felt when you read the script at first what was it that struck you about it when you read it no absolutely I mean because it's core it's a it's a relationship drama about the the breakdown of a marriage and and in some ways quite heartbreaking when you're watching it because they've kind of got all the elements to be this this lovely wee unit if if Bram would stop making stupid decisions you know they've got this they've got two beautiful kids they they obviously love each other um or were were intensely in love at some point have this beautiful house and for all intents and purposes a sort of idyllic life but he seems to be the guy that when things are going too well or too become a bit mundane he he just loses the plot but no absolutely that's all the kind of emotional side to that it draws you in and then it just sort of 
flips into this this wild thriller, um, which was really exciting because uh, that's something as well. I mean, I, I, I think hopefully you can attest to. Like people are saying to me, um, some journalists have been really kind and going, "Oh, the ending of um, Ep One is mm-hmm. it's, it's really good," and I'm like, "Man, it's just beginning." Yeah, so that's it's, it's it's a good it's a good cliffhanger. But in terms of where we go from then, you know, it's uh, we're at a four or a five there. Yeah, there's an even better cliffhanger at the end of episode two, you could say. Yeah, when it, when yeah, it kind of yeah. game change, changes the whole, changes everything you've already seen. Yeah, no, it's it, yeah. it's really twisty and turny like that, isn't it? But do you think Bram, your character, do you think he's an everyman, and in, in the sense that you know we can all imagine ourselves getting up to what he gets up to, or do you think he's um, more of a, a unique and kind of different kind of guy? That's a difficult one, that because he isn't. I won't say he's overly, it's, again, I've said this before and, I, and I'm really not trying to be sort of coy about it, but all these gorgeous women throwing themselves at him is stretching the realms of fantasy, being me. But, you know, that's we're actors and we get that license. But I think for me, something that was essential was to make, try and make that charming and try and make that believable rather than sleazy. You know, um, I think especially with a character like Bram, he does such despicable things to and and that you have to kind of find the goodness in them otherwise why do we care like no when you're watching it you're kind of like well you kind of want everything bad that's happening to him to to continue whereas you kind of need to be rooting for him to kind of get out of it and win his family back despite all these things he's done so you're you're really walking a tightrope as an actor of going you don't want a virgin that says and sort of the creepy sleazy guy having affairs who's also kind of again it's a it's a big twist but the 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 unspeakable thing he's done and how he reacts to that um you kind of got to keep that all bubbling in his head to go and like actually he's trying to do the right thing he just can't find the right moment and that was something uh with Cherie the director which um we, we spoke about quite a lot um and it is that good telly moments where it's really frustrating I've seen he has to be just about to confess about three or four times. He's just about to say, this is what I've done. Please, please help me. And every time he just about to do it, something happens. There's a big twist and, and he can't, somebody else answers the phone. Somebody else is at the house. Somebody else gets out the car other than who, who he was expecting. So I think we had to play with those elements uh, constantly that he's going to do the right thing at some point. Yeah, you're kind of waiting, aren't you, for, for, for the moment yeah. where the, the the truth is going to come out. Yeah. I think it's interesting that it's written by Simon Ashdown, isn't it? Who, I mean, I don't like to pin him down, you know, but he is most famous for writing the best episodes of EastEnders. And I think, right. I wonder whether he's he's an expert at doing those big confrontational moments, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, shows like EastEnders, they rely on those big moments, don't they? Whereas often some more some other kinds of dramas would avoid those moments and cut, do you know, you're, you're, you're having sex in the shed with a woman, then you might cut to, you know, ages yeah, later, but you, yeah. this show deals with those moments. Yeah. And there, and there's, there's one, there's some fabulous lines like that, which are so daft. Um, um, one of them being Brahms after an incident like that, where he says, it's not what it looks like. Yes. And you're just like, <laughs> yes. and it, but you kind of have fun playing that because I think you do say ridiculous things in those situations when you're caught out. And but again, it's trying to make that real going in his head. He's being truthful. It's, 
because you might think it's something else. It's not. It's just this one daft thing. But no, but I think, especially with Simon's scripts, um, that's one of the reasons I didn't read, read the book because you can get quite obsessed with the book and and elements that are in that. You're going, why it's not? But I, I thought Simon's scripts were I, because when they offered me it, I'd only read one and two. Um, and I said, look, I'm very keen, but I need to see three and four. I need to see where they're going because there's so much going on. I need to see how you're going to tie all this up. Um, because if it becomes a mess at the end, that's what people remember. And I was delighted with how it ended. Um, and particularly, um, I think three is a fantastic episode. Um, there's a sort of run in there. I, I, I think the last maybe 20 minutes, which I'm incredibly proud of in terms of just in the, as an actor, they were the scenes were an absolute gift. It's just like it starts with a sort of perfect last kind of moment, and you think, "Oh, there's maybe a bit of hope for them. They're, they're they're back together as a family again." And then it just goes off a cliff, and then it keeps going further and further, and you're just like, "What is going on?" And you just to see that to be able to play that spiral and play those moments, and we were quite lucky that when we were filming. We started a lot of the stuff in the studio and all the big scenes, all those big scenes where we had the, the, the living room and the kitchen, uh, were right next to the, 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 the interior of the flat. So we, as an actor, that is such a gift and instead of, cause there were scenes that were at our, at our house and then at the flat and we were literally, you'd film that one and then just walk across set, film the next one rather than having to move location. So you were, you were very, you were still in that headspace. Like the first three weeks were incredibly intense um, in that studio. But in some ways it was good to get and get that done. And you just knew, right. I mean, I was away from the family and stuff and living in a hotel. And sometimes you're kind of like, I just want to go home. But I, it's, it's, it was a time I kind of felt I needed to be away from everybody and just living on my own. Even, even in town, I very intentionally stayed in a hotel. So out in the middle of nowhere, um, um, but just keep yourself kind of locked away and just try and stay in that zone. Yeah, he's definitely, Bram is definitely tested, isn't he, in quite an intense, intense way throughout. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You, you talked about how, you know, you, you obviously you're away from your family when you're filming because your family's in Las Vegas, etc. Do you, are you more, do you must get, do you, do you get offered loads more stuff nowadays? <laughs> Post line of duty, let's face it. Um, um, and, oh, and do you have to be very selective? Yeah, I definitely, I think that's something I've got older um, that, I, I, I've been very lucky um, in my career that some people took um, big chances on me and got me to where I am. Um, but I probably did some jobs in my mid twenties or stuff that uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't regret them because I, I, in my head, I was just like going. Uh, I'm an actor. I'm getting paid to act, and I've got bills to pay. So this is the next one. Whereas it's not quite as simple as that. Whereas now. No, I, I wouldn't say like it's. I mean, offers do come in, but in terms of people thinking like. Things I wouldn't say it's as busy as you think, but um, I think, but also that's probably more down to the fact that I am more selective in the the type of roles that I'm I am now looking at, um, are completely different. So, so yeah, that is probably fair to say. Like now, the roles that um will come through my agent will be either fantastic supporting roles that that something I'm able to do, or a lead role. Um, whereas sort of the odd guest things that I would have been probably biting your hands off for a couple of years ago need to be something really special for me to come in and do one episode. You know, I wouldn't need to be, I'd really love to get back into some indie films, but mm. I've, I've been 
just because again, as that is also which comes into play with our house is that it's a one-off. You know, you, you, you there's no chance of it coming back, so you just think get in, get it done, leave everything on the floor there, just go for it a hundred percent, and then and then it's done, which was really exciting in our house. And I, I, there's something with that with indie indie films as well. But you know, with like the rig, um, I, I loved. I absolutely, I went straight onto our house from the rig and I mean, that was, a, that again, is just something I've never done before with all these massive special effects and kind of just the scale of the things really exciting. So, you know, it's, um, it's a good time. And a, but I think the most exciting thing for me, Boyd, is, um, I've, I've had ideas of myself and stuff I wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and I've, I've kind of moving that side of the camera now to an extent. I've got a couple of things that I'm, I'm going to be exec producing. Um, and there's one particular story that I've been, I can't believe it hasn't been told, um, to a, to a bigger extent. Um, and it's been a passion project for mine for a long time, which I never really had the confidence to just sit, sit down and put, I mean, I am by no means a writer. Um, uh, but in terms of treatments and ideas, I think I've always got a lot of those floating about and that's when you go to a good writer. So I'm very excited. Right. No one's a writer until you become a writer, are you really? So you... <laughs> no, for sure, but there's a discipline to it. And I think I, I, I mean, I sit, oh, it's a, it's a misty morning in July and I go, oh, fuck off, Martin. You know, I bore myself. Um, and, um, but just in terms of the idea and I see scenes in my head. Um, so when I can sit down with somebody and just write it out. So I'm working on something right now with, with World Productions, which is, um, been a passion project and, um, something I've been dying to tell for a long time. So, and I couldn't think of anybody better than to go with them. And I'm very lucky that, they they're on board with it and yeah we're we're in the process of making that happen oh, can you say anything about it or apart from it's not that even that i can't say it. it's just mm. with these things boy they take so much time yeah. and until you're actually in production um then there's no real point you know because it's not a real thing it's not tangible um but we're we've had a pilot commission which is exciting and we're just going through the drafts of that and again that process is to me it's an eye-opener um it, because it it takes so long, you know, and you think these things, you think, right, I've got an idea. This is a great idea. I've got these growth production companies. This is it. Let's do it. And it's it's just not as simple as that. So learning to have a bit of patience with that is, is, has became a big thing. But it's also really exciting when you see, I mean, I, I got, when I got the pilot in for that idea and I saw the first page and the name of it, and this is this name that I, 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 well, I called it. You're like, wow, it's there. It's now, mm. it's now a thing. And then you've got to do drafts and drafts and drafts to get it to where everybody's happy. But yeah, that that has been pretty thrilling. That sounds exciting. And, and will um, a certain Jed Mercurio be? You know, would you consult him? Would you send him get feedback? Uh, from yeah, him? I would definitely um, uh, ask Jed on, on. Yeah, I mean, why would you not? There's yeah. definitely. But I, I, we're very lucky that we've got. As I leave like I said, we've got a very, very successful writer who's written the pilot. Um, oh, cool. So. Um, yeah, his CV speaks for, for himself. So, like, we just leave that over to him. But I'm sure if I ever, I definitely leaned on Jed before we got to that process, just in terms of like with treatment and and who should I be talking to and stuff. Um, and he's gave me some great advice on that times. But no, but we're very lucky that we've got a fabulous writer. Yeah, it's it, he he's doing his thing. Right, and I, I I saw that you're doing an audience with AC12, aren't you? As this charity event for this hospice, yeah. um, which yeah. which sounds amazing on March 19th. I think it was sold out in about ten seconds. Wasn't it? I think that's it right. It was wild, mate, and it's I'm like I'm chuffed to bits. Um, 
I suppose it's just uh, without getting again too political with the state of this country at the minute. Um, everybody's energy energy bills are going through the roof, um, and the hospice is no different. I think theirs has tripled. So I, I I've been patient of the hospice for a long time now, and it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, um, but this was quite more immediate, whereas usually we just sort of do an annual fundraiser, like we kind of probably just need money and um, cash in the building pretty soon with this. Um, so it was something I'd kicked around with the guys. And then just when uh, my last sort of catch up talk with the hospice, it said like, let's kick this into high gear. And luckily we just kicked, um, kicked around a few dates um, and the guys were, were on board. I mean, I'm overwhelmed with the response. I think we could have sold it out four or five times over. But it's also important to me that I have it local um, where the hospice is. You know, it's it's about the area. It's about the community. Um, but it's also, it's exciting to see the guys. There's no two yeah. ways around that. You know, yeah. we haven't we haven't spent much time at all together since the last series. We've all been off doing other things. So we'll, um, we'll have a great night and we'll raise a few quid. I think we've already got a, a few quid in the bag. Um, and then, you know, we'll sit down and have a chat and who knows what we might talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, my final, you, you've got to, when they arrive, you've got to, when Jed arrives, you, I mean, surely, you've just got to go, what the fuck is happening? Is there going to be another series? I mean, surely. Well, we have that conversation <laughs> pretty much on a daily basis. Um, right. okay. But Yeah, but just in the overall terms of it, Boyd, we're in no different place to where we, we normally are. It's just, sure. there's a lot more attention around the show now, um, which is which is great. But yeah, we we usually finish it and then probably take a year or so and then Jed will go, right, like I've got this idea. Uh, when can you go? Are you guys up for it? And they, yeah, then we're, the waistcoat's back on and we're back in the saddle. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's just at the moment. But I mean, also, if that was to be it, um, then so be it. I don't, Jed won't bring it back for the, the mm. sake of it. But I've said yeah. this a couple of times. I think it, it, it would be fair to say all of us would be heartbroken if we thought that was the last time. Now, that's not a that's not a reason for somebody to sanction millions of pounds to go and do another show so we can all hang out again. But <laughs> I feel like also because we, it was such a sociable job um, and that is a big part of it and, and the crew are such a huge part and just the, with picking up during COVID, you know, and we were one of the first shows back. It was the severest filming conditions, literally nobody near you and you went back to your house by yourself every night um, sat alone. It was... And you couldn't even, I couldn't even see Vicky or Eddie if they were in a different, um, I think it was close cohort, like a CCC, whatever they were at the time. So it wasn't even as if the guys were being a couple of flats down, but I couldn't even nip round and see them. You know, it was, um, but also we were very lucky to get back. I'm under no illusion it was all done for the right reasons, but it just, it took so much away from the, the job on a personal level that I think we, we'd probably like to go back again and, and sort of do, have one last big hangout. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, well, I think we're running out of time because I've got to go and see Arsenal, frankly. Um, yeah, and you, who's got today? We've got Wolves. It's a uh, it's a big kind of top six battle. Are you not? You're not in the Europa League. <laughs> no, we're not. We're, we're, no. we're not in Europe at all. That's how bad we were last season. All right. Well, I'm <laughs> just about to say, me. I'm going. To, I'm just about to go watch Celtic get hammered. But you know. You'll be fine. Celtic will be, be fine. I mean, well, we'll that is Europe. Thanks for having me, brother. It's been an absolute joy. And congratulations on our house. It's it's perfect. I think it's perfect escapist viewing for these dark times, I have to say, because it's such a good, it's such a kind yeah, of Well, I hope so. I mean, that's one of the joys of the job. It, it's you, you hope, especially with everything that's going on again, you think yeah. it just it gives some people to something to focus 
focus on for a couple of hours and something to talk about with a pal. So if you've done that, we've done our job. Exactly, exactly. Thanks so much. Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks, Martin. Cheers, pal. Bye. That was Martin Comston. And now we move on to news. We have already covered Neighbours, but Boyd, tell us, why are you wearing a shirt? What have you oh, done yeah. today? What news have you brought forth into the world? I should have mentioned this on last week because then lots of people would have actually been able to tune in to what I did this morning, <laughs> which was I, bizarrely, <laughs> and I don't know the fuck what they were thinking, but the Royal Television Society asked me to announce the nominees of this year's RTS TV Awards. You know, like how the Oscars, they get some, you know, legend. Yes. Legends to announce at four in the morning or whatever who the nominees yeah. are. This is the equivalent, effectively. Yeah, I've been, I announced them. You were that legend. On, yeah, on, on, in some building in the city, um, outside, in fact, and a pigeon nearly attacked me, by the Did way. Did you have a co-host? Um, no, just me. <laughs> just me. Just you. I to, yeah, I recited every, like, there are about 20-something categories, so it went on for quite a long time. It was about 20, 25 minutes it went on. Um... Yeah, I just had to read out all of the all of the categories. But the more importantly is that these the RTS awards, are, I would say, like the BAFTAs, they're up there with the BAFTAs in terms of prestige, and they have really good, really good nominees. It's a sin dominated, I would say, the um, the general categories. Six nominations, including Keely Hawes, Ollie Alexander, and Callum Scott Howes, both got nominated in the Best Actor category, which is amazing. Um, and Rusty Davis got for writer and the show itself alongside Stephen and time in the kind of limited series category so it's like yeah that was the unsurprisingly you might say um it got most nominations but there are other interesting ones Tahar Rahim got nominated for the serpent in the actor category May Martin Amazing. yeah and Joe Hampson um got nominated in the comedy writer for the second time for feel good quite rightly um and uh, what else? It's In My Skin got quite a few nominations, which has gone... I think people... When In My Skin is the 30-minute BBC Three show, which does deal with, like, teenagers and mental health and all kinds of things. And when it first came out, I, I'm pretty sure it was kind of marketed as a comedy, you know, albeit a very, you know, as, as many comedies are these days, very dealing with, you know, big issues. But now it's shifted to drama officially this time, and that's nominated in the drama series category. Um, which I thought was interesting, alongside Manhunt, which is the Martin Clunes thing, which I bet you saw James on ITV. Oh, yeah, I love it. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a true yeah. crime drama with Martin Clunes. And Unforgotten, Unforgotten got nominated, quite rightly. And yes. We love Unforgotten, yes. Um, so, yeah, people, yeah, check them all out online. Um, Stephen Time and It's a Sin, single drama. Um, Bloods on Sky got nominated, which is a really good show. Alma's Not Normal, and We Are Lady Parts in scripted comedy. Um, oh, love We Are Lady Parts. We Love Lady Parts is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's yeah. really good, yeah. And Nida Manzo, who writes it, writes it, got nominated for writing as well. And Motherland team brilliant. got nominated for the writing of that. They're, they're, yeah, so they're the, I think they're, it's a really good ga- gaggle of, of um, nominations, not just because I fucking read them out this morning on uh, online, I guess it was, yeah. Well, there's some other big news this morning, Boyd. This yeah. morning, Boyd? Today? Yeah. There's some other big yeah. news today, Boyd. And it involves ITV. Yes. Specifically, ITVX. Yes. ITVX, which is ITV's brand new streaming service. On a scale of one to ten, how ITV is ITVX Boyd? (laughs) What a brilliant question. (laughs) What a classic James version of this new story. So what James is banging on about in his ludicrously snobbish way is that... ITV is launching their new streaming brand, will be called ITVX, 
Yeah. And it's going to effectively replace ITV Hub, which everyone thinks is is terrible generally, like more te- <laughs> technically more than the actual content. Um, and it's going to be ad-funded, but there will be a kind of subscription ver- mm. version of it. It's basically what ITV is saying is, and they explicitly said this in the press release, they are digital first, streaming first. They're going to stream their big shows, their big Star-studded shows, stuff like the Ipcris file, which um, which is starting to just will have started on Sunday when we come out, and we couldn't review because it was embargoed. Um, and and our house that we're reviewing this week, in fact, with Martin Thompson, yeah. those will debut first on ITVX on this streaming service. And it's what they're saying is that streaming is the future, you know, and good old quaint old linear TV, people watching stuff live, is secondary. And it's quite amazing. It's quite a big moment because they are, you know, mm. ITV is ad is, is ad funded, obviously. Um, and they're saying that in whatever the, whatever's happening in the ad market, and I'm no expert, but that they can get enough, keep enough advertisers, they don't have to worry about everyone watching a show at the same time anymore and the live ads that go out during, you know, their big hit shows. Um, it's quite interesting. I think it's quite an interesting moment. Um, and there are a lot of people who get who are annoyed when the BBC, you know, BBC traders for their dramas these days, if you watch them, they always mention iPlayer. Sometimes they mention iPlayer and they don't even mention BBC One, like Peaky Blinders. There was a trade for Peaky Blinders just went BBC iPlayer, as if the whole thing, and it, it's bullshit because it's going every out every week live on BBC One and on iPlayer. But ITV now is saying, yeah, this is our priority and this is how we're going to deal with all our, particularly like written scripted content in the future. So yeah, it's huge. Boy, did you see the news about the Larry David documentary being pulled? I did. I absolutely, this was my, this, I was going to mention this. This is so fucking weird, honestly. Yeah. It's so Larry David. So Larry David. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. I, I honestly thought it was a joke because someone, so I, um, someone asked me on Twitter, like this week on Monday or Tuesday, when is the Larry David documentary going to be on Sky? And I, to the max, they March the second, which is when it was due to go out, which was today, basically. I think is it today or yesterday? Um, uh, yesterday, Wednesday, because it was supposed to go out on Tuesday on HBO, and then literally hours before it was supposed to go out, it was cancelled. HBO pulled it, and the reason they gave was that Larry wanted to do the whole thing in front of an audience, so basically scrap the whole fucking show. The original show was him chatting about his career and life to his mate. But if anyone has watched the pilot of Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's all about how Larry is doing a special for HBO and then cancels it for, for, for like completely <laughs> indulgent reasons. And so I thought it was a joke. I thought it was an in-joke saying, oh, ha, you know, Larry's cancelled it like he did in the, in the Curb Your Enthusiasm pilot where you literally had HBO, um, HBO executives being played by actors having to deal with Larry being difficult about this special. And now you've got real HBO executives presumably having to do with Larry being difficult about this fucking show. It, it could not be madder. And I'm a fury. I was so looking forward to it. I was like, my whole week was building up to the Larry David specials on Sky. And now we're not going to get it. For, you know, the, who the fuck knows when this is going to happen? And all of the showbiz, you know, Variety and Hollywood Reporter are all reporting it. And HBO won't comment on it at all. They won't discuss it. So it's really fucking weird. Yes, Beth, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I'm aware I have a lot of feelings, capital F. Yeah. <laughs> so many feelings. So many feelings, yeah. Gutted. Absolutely gutted. Yeah. Did you um, see, obviously, Pamela Anderson's response to Pam and Tommy is, yeah. of course, a Netflix documentary, which is, on the one hand, feels like capitalising on that. But also, what's interesting is, as we talked about when we reviewed Pam and Tommy, that it was a show that was made without her consent, and it is about consent. This feels like an interesting 
cancel. I, I actually want to see this specifically because mm. this is her version of those events. Mm. Mm. Yeah, me too. That was, yeah, it just lost me in the end match though for that for that like very specific reason. So yeah, I would be interested to see uh, her side of things, give her a voice in all this. Yeah, yeah. This is directed by Ryan White who did uh, The Keepers and asked Dr. Ruth. Uh, an Ooh. intimate portrait embedded in the life of Pamela Anderson as she looks back at her professional and personal path and prepares for the next steps on her journey, which is about as generic and vague as a logline could possibly be. <laughs> However, I'm sure it will be very interesting because it does involve a sex tape. Yes. It's a really um, smart It's a really smart way for her to, to, have a, to get an answer, isn't it? A, a, to get a reply, right to reply yes. to that show. Yes. I mean, it is, yeah. Yeah. Respond yeah. with a documentary series. Um, mm. Did you watch the trailer for Slow Horses? No, I haven't yet. Which is the new uh, Gary Oldman, um, Christmas Scott Thomas, sort of like low-rent espionage, you could call it. And that's not to say that the show is low-rent. It's that the espionage in the show is low-rent. It looks loads of fun. I really oh. enjoyed it. It looks interesting. It Loved looks it. funny. It's, you're, oh, of course you've seen it, Boyd. Of course you've course. seen it. Absolutely. This, um, is my, this is my, you know, injected into my veins genre. This, honestly, Gary, Gary Oldman in a low, as you say, low-level espionage setting, a la Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is one of my favourite books and films and TV shows ever. And it's in that kind of like, you know, at, what actually is it like to work on intelligence? That's that's the seems to be the premise, you know, which is much less mm. glamorous. A little bit in Killing Eve. You know when Killing Eve started, part of the genius yes. of it was that, you know, Eve was just like working in an office like everyone else and having complaining about getting the wrong kind of donut from a workmate whilst investigating serial killing, you know, people on the other side of the world. It's got that vibe to it. And I love that whole genre. And I love Gary Oldman. This is exactly the kind of role that he should be doing as if, you know, I'm his agent or something. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yes, me too. I, I enjoyed the trailer a lot. I thought it looks really, really good. So yeah. that's one that we have to look forward to. Was there any other news? It was quite a light week news-wise that I saw. Um, I mean, it's not news for us, I doubt, unless any of us actually do watch Futurama, but I know it's a big deal that John DiMaggio's back as Bender. Um, yes. Which, um, I know he had a bit of a conflicted past with the show, but now he's, he's back. Just worth putting out there, isn't there, really? It's bit of news. animation news from Beth. <laughs> animation yep. section the animation corner that's right <laughs> the animation a, section uh, the BBC, you're right there wasn't much news I want the BBC put out um, few, the first images of this show called Marriage that I'm very very um, excited about this is Stefan Goloszewski who wrote Mum and Him and Her with um, with Russell Tovey um, mm -hmm. this show is a, a dissection of a marriage and the husband and wife are Sean Bean and Nicola Walker so you've got like you know premium talent there and i and they've been married for 30 years and seven god is a brilliant writer he's a no holds barred raw you know he's always his stuff is always about relationships basically um and so i can't wait for that and it, yeah it looks it looks excellent uh quentin tarantino might be directing oh, episodes yeah. of justified city primeval <laughs> the justified revival series for timothy elephant i am 100 percent here for for Raylan givens directed by quentin tarantino whether it will actually happen or not who knows but still that's kind of cool yeah that would be exciting yeah it would. He did direct it ER, would. didn't he? And um, he did at CSI. He did a CSI, CSI buried alive yeah. episode. So he yeah. has done some bits and bobs before, um, and obviously worked with Timothy Oliphant on Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood. So uh, I'm bored of news now. Should we just move on? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just segue seamlessly into reviews. Um, and I think let's begin this week with The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, which is, of course, the Apple miniseries based on the novel by Walter Mosley. Uh, and stars Samuel L. Jackson as a 93-year-old man called Ptolemy Gray, uh, who has dementia and whose, shall we say carer situation changes rather dramatically between the first and second mm. episodes and leave it at that beth and i apologize in advance for this ptolemy all about it oh my god <laughs> is that is it silent p it's yes. not for ptolemy so you say it however you want to say it but yes it's just ptolemy gray i mean this is not a safe space for me and the way i pronounce <laughs> things so i will <laughs> just uh, on the side of fucking caution um yeah, largely on board for this. I'm I'm all about Apple's big swing that it's got at the moment where it just feels like something solid and big and with great creatives behind it is coming out every single week. It feels like they're they're finally picking up some momentum, not to say that the stuff they were putting out before wasn't good. It just felt sparse or maybe it just wasn't getting the attention that its competitors were. But now it feels like yeah, at least every week something interesting or every other week. And, you know, this is a good example of that. I am a big fan of performers who are usually character actors taking on big meaty storylines, which is what Samuel L. Jackson is doing here. I'm a massive fan of Dominique Fishback. I haven't seen her telly work, um, but I really, really liked her in Judas and the Black Messiah. I think that was a really good kind of breakout role. And she plays his great niece have i got that right in this she's a sort of almost she... yeah almost everyone in here is like like the granddaughter or something of one of his siblings like yeah. it's, they're quite mm. distant yeah yeah she's she's of the same kind of household as him he's yeah he's living with dementia and a hoarder and in this kind of stuffy little um stuffy little home and has sort of his one sole person who's got his back is is this guy Reggie um I haven't made it and and that's all I can really talk about because I haven't made it past the second episode yet and I think it's biggest flaw so far is it's taken an entire episode just to set up what this show's premise is because then it goes into sci-fi territory so there becomes a whole other storyline about um this kind of medical trial that uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character can undergo to help get his memories back that um, Walton Goggins, not at all creepy looking, uh, <laughs> Dr. Rubin uh, infiltrates. But you don't find out about that until the second episode. So the first episode for me was so depressing. <laughs> it was so fucking sad is just about Samuel L. Jackson in kind of the current day his mind's not all there he's in this stuffy little um, apartment with just this one lifeline through this guy Reggie he's dicked about, he's bullied he's not treated well, it's a real kind of sharp reminder of just how hard old people have it and that's the whole first episode you barely get any other insight into that it's only when I watched the first episode and thought, I watched the trailer and see if I can kind of get anything else from it and then the trailer makes it look like a completely different show so then I want to watch the second episode which then gets more into 
where the story's going to lead. It's going to take him on this trip back through his memories. There's loads of kind of like shady stuff that happens in his past with his family. Um, and his relationship with uh, Dominique Fishback's character becomes um, stronger and they have some really good rapport. She is very, very good in this. I'm very excited to see where she kind of goes the more she does. But yeah, I think its biggest crime was its first episode just really underselling what this was as a show. I spent an entire episode establishing this character when they could have done that in half the episode and then really got stuck into what the show's actually about. It reminded me of when we were talking about Pam and Tommy and the whole first episode of (laughs) Pam and Tommy had fuck all to do with Pam and Tommy, really. It was about Seth Rogen's character. And I just think... I know that ultimately it's got enough money and star power to keep it going, but you want to get stuck right in if it's something that exciting and interesting and you do have that star power attached to it. Whereas this was just like really, as I say, just really fucking sad and just left me a bit like, oh God, like, do I have to watch more of this? Do I have to watch, you know, another 12, another 200 hours of this? But instead... I kept going for another one. And then, yeah, and then it did spin and get much more interesting and I will probably watch the rest of it. But I'm only two episodes in and yeah, I can't, I just can't get a good reading on this yet because it took so bloody long getting into the story. So that's my rant. I think the reason they did the the opening episode like they did, and I know what you mean, is to give them a big twist ending to it. Where Because I do think it very clever. I mean, I I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think, I think, I think the depiction of dementia and and in brackets, I find depictions of dementia really hard to, to, to sit through often because my dad basically had dementia when he died and it was really grim. But I think this is, mm. I think that its depiction in this show is really clever and smart. And the way that, particularly in that first episode, you assume certain things are happening that you then find out are possibly didn't happen or couldn't have happened in the way you think they'd have happened because he is have suffering dementia do you know what i mean samuel l jackson's ptolemy gray's character so as a study so it's setting the scene as that first episode does particularly in trying to establish his dementia and how it works how he functions and how he forgets things and remembers other things is i found it grueling to sit through but actually really clever and he's brilliant i do think like bear in mind he's what 70 71 he's playing a 93 year old and I think the makeup and the aging up is really clever. They haven't gone over the top with it. Yes. I've seen, I've actually seen Samuel L. Jackson as aged up characters in other stuff, and I often think, oh my god, mm. he, they've done a terrible job. Yeah. Um, but he is phenomenal in this, and you can totally see why. You know, he wanted to do this show. He's a producer, um, along with Walter Mosley, whose book it, it's adapted from. Walter Mosley, interestingly, was a writer on Star Trek Picard. Let's not forget. Ah. Um, yes, he is a legend. His books are brilliant, and he writes. You know, he writes kind of crime books and and literary novels and sci-fi and all of that is in. I haven't read this book, but all of that feels like is in this show, as you say, because it has a has a sci-fi element that, com- that will come in um, later. I, I was really impressive there. I did find it difficult because of the, the whole dementia thing, but, you know, I've had to sit through, I mean, you know, the Anthony Hopkins dementia film I had to sit through, and there's been a lot of dementia yeah. depictions in recent times, both on TV and film. But I do think this is one of the best ones in terms of, like, just dr- dramatising it and confusing you, the viewer, initially as to what is real and what isn't and what he's imagining and what isn't and what he's remembering and how I thought at one point you know there's a whole bit where one of his family members takes him to a bank or, or you yeah. know to help him cash checks and I was like is this happening isn't it happening you know is that moment and you don't know necessarily 
but it doesn't but it but i think that works in the favor of the show because it's constantly keeping you on edge and it's really showing you what this poor guy's going through as you say you know people not treating him with how he should be treated apart from um dominic fishback's character and i like the fact that you know initially she's not in the slightest bit interested she's annoyed that her mum wants her to deal with him you know give him a sandwich or whatever and then she becomes essentially his main and she will clearly, it's no spoiler to say that she'll become his main carer, I think, in some way, shape or form, or at least a carer. Mm. Um, and she's great as well. So I'm, you know, I'm impressed so far. I'm not exactly looking forward to watching uh, seven more episodes of about a man with dementia. But as I understand it, the, the sci-fi, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but as you say, the, the whole idea of it is he's given some kind of treatment that enables him to clear his mind um, for the rep, for for events to come which i think is a really yeah. interesting idea see they try and address it a bit don't they because they have a cold open of sorts yeah. which and then it does do that thing and, and again i'm with you i'm starting to get fatigued by it as well like my heart sinks when i see the two weeks earlier and you're like oh fucking hell <laughs> you just think i've now got to wait through hours and hours to get back where you left yeah. me before uh, yeah. which is a little bit frustrating but i think they're they're showing you with that that this isn't going to be what it initially sets it out to be in the whole first episode um yeah. which as you say it's exactly it's about sort of drilling down the kind of slightly undignified dehumanizing way in which an older man with dementia is treated by generally everyone um and it is very sort of downbeat and it is quite depressing but it's also beautifully acted i mean jackson's fantastic in this role yeah. i also really liked a really soulful performance from omar miller as reggie his uh mm. his great nephew um reggie who played orlando in an episode of the west wing just saying um i thought that was lovely and i thought they had a really touching relationship and a lovely rapport as well um but i yeah i didn't know what to make of this from that first episode at all and it's only once you get into episode two you're like oh hang on this is not what i thought it was in the slightest but mm -hmm. it's it's fascinating isn't it i mean i'd say it's based it's based on a novel and it has that that kind of structure to it um but it's it's enjoyable and it's fascinating and it's got a great performance it is i only six episodes um but you know i haven't seen them all yet but uh but there's something about this is quite tantalizing like it's quite it's it, yeah, it, it draws you in so i definitely think it's worth watching but again i think exactly what you said when you started off beth that it's like it's again it's apple once again taking big swings going nuts and i love the fact that they do this like fuck it let's put this out there <laughs> Who gives a shit? Uh, and it's really high quality stuff but it's also unconventional and that's uh, yeah, i yeah i love apple stuff i think it's fantastic mm-hmm Anyway, Last Days of Ptolemy Grey then, which is streaming on Apple TV Plus from the 11th of March. And when I say from, I mean they'll probably do their usual thing where they drop how many episodes, Boyd? They normally drop a, um, a few or a couple, don't they? Yeah, and then it's I one think, a week. I think it's I don't know two, how initi two initially and then one a week, yeah. Exactly. You kind of need episodes. to do the first two. So two yeah. and then one a week, okay, from 11th of March. Next up this week is... The Witchfinder, which is not, to my extreme disappointment, a spin-off series of Apple C centred around Tamukti Jun, but rather a new comedy from the Gibbons Brothers, and it stars Tim Key as a hapless hunter of witches back in 1647 East Anglia. Boyd, uh, does this float or sink? Uh, should we burn it? Is it a witch, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I've got it, I've got it. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a floater. Um, <laughs> take that uh, as you will <laughs> yeah, take, take that as you will the, I mean I am first of all I am biased because this is created written by and directed by Rob and Neil Gibbons of 
Alan Partridge fame. So they were the these are the guys who worked like working with Steve Coogan on the ca- everything that Alan Partridge has done about pretty much for the last ten or so years from Mid Morning Matters onwards, and they have completely, as you'll see, I think from the Empire Magazine um, ranking we did of Alan Partridge, they've transformed him and you know just in a brilliant way. So they've I love their what they've done with that character, and this is their own um, new sitcom effectively with Tim Key. As a witch finder in in 1647 during the English Civil War, when women were absolutely um, hounded, if there was considered anything unusual or odd or whatever, in fact, they didn't even need that fucking excuse. If everyone <laughs> suddenly decided yeah. that someone was a witch, then they would be um, tortured, um, persecuted, often killed, etc. And it takes that you know idea, which we've seen dramatised in various um, plays, films, TV shows before, but this is, it does turn it into, and it doesn't, it, it's all a, it, it, tonally I think it's magnificent because it doesn't shirk from the fact that it's really evil and awful and horrible what was happening to these women in 1647 and yet it's fucking funny because you've got um, Tim Key, who is Psychic Simon to Alan Partridge, as this kind of barely competent <laughs> witchfinder who's trying to prove that he's as good a witchfinder as the star witchfinder of the moment, who everyone respects and thinks can find witches brilliantly, whereas no one really thinks that Tim Key's character can. And of course, the 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 most valuable player, Daisy May Cooper, the legend, the living legend of this country fame, as the accused witch, who is phenomenal because she doesn't take any shit from anyone. So the yeah. whole including the whole town who she's like being accused of being a witch and she's like people someone says to her at one point, you know, you you haven't you've been single for years. She's like, Well you're fucking single as well, <laughs> you stupid cow, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it's like so she is absolutely hilarious and they they clearly have tailored this role for her because you cannot imagine anyone doing as good a job as she does in not taking the shit from the Tim Keys, which find and from everyone else. And the first episode, you've got Jessica Hines as the wife of Tim Key's wife, um, and lots of other characters pop up. But it's it's, it's a scene setting first episode. I have watched the second, and I have read that. And that basically, they go off on a kind of odyssey after the first episode. So they leave the village, and it's all about um, this this relationship, and it is like a kind. Kind of buddy buddy it's basically midnight run in in, in in the English Civil War between these two people and and bring it on because Midnight Run is one of the greatest films of all time and Tim Key and Daisy May Cooper maybe not quite up there with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin but not far off not far off I'm saying they're both brilliant I, I think it's really smartly written as I say I think it you know it does actually explain what was happening as well historically in case people don't know to 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 women at this time so i absolutely loved it i have to say i love that you just compare that to midnight run that's so the idea of daisy may cooper doing anything in yeah. a role intended for robert de niro um is brilliant it's the dream. Um, well, I mean, this is already my show of the week because the first episode is 28 minutes long. So <laughs> less than half the runtime of both of the other fucking shows. Um, <laughs> I went in pretty blind this week. So I, I really did just kind of get the message, got the bat signal from uh, Boyd and then logged on to watch whatever I needed to watch. So I was absolutely delighted. Slash a bit frustrated that it was Daisy May Cooper because we obviously should have tried to get her for the show because I'm destined to meet her <laughs> and wax lyrical about Swindon together. Just talk about how absolutely batshit the magic roundabout is. You know, talk about her iconic Swindon football town BAFTA outfit that she wore. 
Um, but no, I was obviously delighted and I really love Tim Key's comedy. I've seen him do stand up a few times and his just very fucking funny to me very like absurdist and strange and he writes all this amazing poetry that he leaves in weird places wherever he goes and and i generally think he's great and i really like the lines that clearly are improvised in this as well like he really runs off into some very strange places um for this and then yeah you're right like daisy the cooper could do no wrong i really just like her as a person i've enjoyed her whole sort of social media presence as she's fought with her publicists over her book (laughs) and got Carol Baskin to send threats to her publicists via Cameo, whatever she was doing. Like, just a very inspired human being. And then with this, she's got just the right delivery and knack to... She's got a very biting sense of delivery sometimes that can really kind of knock the wind out of you. And so the pair of them together... Very, very good. Uh, Obviously, yeah, I'm getting a little bit tired of a being reminded of how hard it is to be a fucking woman so you know this is this is part of it but the comedy in itself that's that's enough to keep me going and i'm sure james will agree with me on every single thing i've said <laughs> I, will, yes, I will agree with one clear thing and that's that, like the thread of misogyny running through this that's not to say from the showmakers it's deliberately sending up the misogyny of the era but it's quite unsettling mm. like yeah. it's like it's it's weirdly so it's funny but it's also a little bit upsetting all the way through um yeah so, which is and those two sensations are odd bedfellows obviously this isn't for me that's not a shock for anyone um that said it is really well written and some of the lines did have me chuckling it's just you know when he's one of the witch finders on stage trying to say did you lie with satan and someone goes simple question love did you fuck the devil uh and it's just, like, just little moments like that i thought it, the delivery and the the lines are, are yeah it made it made me giggle i thought the the delivery is very good and i thought the uh the writing is 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 decent too so so while it may not be what i would say nailed on to my particular sense of humor i recognize that there is humor there <laughs> Yeah, we can't. Wow. That's I mean, all that's, we're going to get. Yeah. What a triumph! What an achievement! Yeah, you um, go. Yeah, <laughs> I have recognised the presence of humour. I have found it. I've detected the presence yeah. of humour. <laughs> humour in the show. Uh, whether or not that humour came from Satan remains to be seen. However, the Witchfinder airs on BBC Two on Tuesday, the tenth of March at eight pm. Finally this week, we have Our House. And no, this is not a reboot of the 1960s series starring half the cast of the Carry On films. But instead, this is, in fact, a thriller based on the novel by Louise Candlish, which stars Tuppence Middleton as a woman who arrives home one day only to discover it is no longer her home. Beth, and again, bear with me, let's hear your Tuppence worth on this. Oh, that was a stretch, wasn't Whoa. it? That was. <laughs> That's all I've got. That's all I've got. You I'm don't sorry. even have the excuse that you've not had any sleep this I know, time. I know. Um. Yeah. The the I hadn't read the book for this, so it's based on this book by by Louise Candish, isn't it? Um. And it is a really fascinating concept. It is like the big question, you know, like when Sophie came on the podcast and was explaining, you know if you're asked this question, how would you answer? And I think that's very much how this opens. If you walked home and some other people were in your house where you've lived for all this time, what would you do? And it very much like lands with a big bang of a question like that. And I was very on board for that because that is that is like 
the stuff of terror, isn't it? Like your your family home and you get home and there are complete strangers, mm. not only in your home, but moving into your home and none of your stuff is anywhere to be seen. So that was a really interesting premise. And then it goes... I like the pacing with this word. I think maybe because we come off of... Um, we're not even coming off the back of the other shows or well, the other show this week, but just generally I've found that, you know, what I'm like with my run times and, and it just takes so long to get to what you're saying. But with this, it felt like everything was very economically paced. You got to the, the twists and turns at just the right time for this. So yeah, it goes back in, in time because apparently that's what all television does these days. And you're learning about this very happy family, Tuppence Middleton and uh, Martin Martin Comston, who who genuinely seemed like a very happy couple, so obviously that goes to shit. And um kind of piecing together potentially how she could end up in this position while also leaving very open that she might not be in this situation at all, that she could be double crossed by somebody. And that's left up in the air as well. I've only watched the first episode of this so far but yeah i i really liked this as a as kind of thriller telly i thought that this was gripping enough to keep me engaged um it is such an interesting premise i thought martin comston was great because you didn't quite hate him but you definitely didn't like him uh so i think he trod that line very well so he yeah is this kind of loving family man that um well the aforementioned shed shagging comes in to play hmm. and sort of sets things off in motion there. I wasn't quite on board with Tuppence Middleton's performance. I don't know if that's because her character is quite conservative and is, you know, going through quite a lot. But I thought she could have had more fun with this. I think she's in a position where she could have, I think especially when we did watch the, um, I've already forgotten what it's called, Shining Veil, where we'd watched Shining Veil last week, which was another kind of play on the home and being a woman in the home. And Courtney Cox is there effing and blinding to the heavens and misbehaving in the classical sense. Whereas, yeah, Tuppers Middleton, her character Fee is very, um, you know, reserved. She wears a lot of beige she's a very good mum and she was a very good wife but you know I just I felt like given what she goes through she obviously gets very angry and she she hits all the right notes but I feel like there could have been there could have definitely been a way to make this character a little bit more fun than she than she was I felt a little bit let down interesting see I liked her performance I actually I because it's it's basically it's massive gaslighting isn't it she's like what the fuck is going on this doesn't make any sense I think the interplay between her and the woman who is in her house exactly so it didn't ring true i think more from the other party rather than from her but i was like i'm not like i can you can forgive fee's response a little bit because she's so discombobulated that i don't think she is being rational because what's happening to her isn't rational and so her response is a little bit sort of like five miles an hour a hundred miles an hour like she goes different speeds and moods and emotions because i think you would whereas i think the woman who kind of invites her in for a cup of tea, oh, it's all fine i think you're fine this in my house now <laughs> like that i was like i don't think that's how people behave but okay yeah. whatever like yeah. that that didn't ring true to me but this like you genuinely with this so i didn't know what this was at all mm. apart from that it was on itv and <laughs> and my snobbishness for ITV is well established despite the fact yeah. as I've said before Unforgotten one of the greatest shows on British television an ITV show 
But going to like, I, I had no fucking clue what was going to happen from one minute to the next in this. Like, no fucking clue. It it was completely had me gripped because I was just, I don't know what I don't know what's happening. I don't know where <laughs> we're going. I can't believe what's going to happen next. And then the next thing happens, you're like, I can't believe that literally just happened. <laughs> and you get to the end of the first episode, and I'm like, I still don't know what's happening, but I am fascinated to find out. So despite this being, you know. ITV. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of this just to find out what the hell went on. And I loved yeah. everyone in it. I thought it was really good. I think Martin Comston, who is so, you know, f- I mean, obviously Steve Arnott can be a bell end of, you know, shagging witnesses and whatnot. But, but, but you know, he, he plays, you know, the slightly, you know, sleazy guy really well. Mm. And I really like the fact that, you know, he's been shagging someone in a shed, but he pops up on the doorstep, all cheeky chappy and like smiling and friendly and stuff. And you can see him like trying to work his charm and stuff. I think he plays it very, very subtly. And exactly as you say, Beth, I think like you don't hate him, but you don't like him. And it's like, it's it's in that middle ground and he plays it perfectly where, oh, you're a dodgy chap, but there's something about you that we're not writing you off. So yeah, Yes, uh, our house, ITV. Who'd have thunk? Boy, you must have loved this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely lapped it up. Yeah, this is like, it's it's just, it's hokum, right, to use, to, to, to use a word, an old word. But, I, but it's so well plotted. That's the thing. It is, uh, it, it is like the way it, it, it drops its twists and turns yeah. and character revelations are really cleverly paced out. Um, mm. So within, I've seen the whole thing, of course. Um, of course, does and, it continue to get good? Yeah, and and honestly, bits of it you'll be like, oh come on, bits of it stretch credulity to use yeah. that phrase. Um, <laughs> but who gives a shit? Because yeah. it's worked. It somehow works, and I think it's a real skill. It is a real skill um, of the writers and um, the actors and the performances to make you make you go along with it's more out there plot twist shall we say so i did really enjoy it yeah i think the casting i think i agree with everything you said about Comston because he just can he just can absolutely charm his way into any Mm. situation and out of it indeed but it works as it as this story goes along because he has to do some quite extreme things you know no spoilers but he absolutely sells it i know what you mean about um thomas middleton but i think the thing is her character is as soon as we see her, she's in this fucking extreme nightmare yeah. and she's on edge. She's just totally on edge from that point. And then she has to be on edge about him shagging around and she has to be on edge about how the fuck she's going to sort this whole situation out. He's disappeared. Mm. What's that? Almost every single scene she's in, she's in a level of distress. And it's just the, 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 the you know, the notches of distressness um, <laughs> that change throughout the whole thing. But so, you know, she has. I, I, I'd mentioned Warucho Pio, who plays the best friend, the neighbour who, you know, the shed partner, shall we speak. The shed shagger. Be, yeah, the shed shagger. Absolutely could not be more different from her. Remember, you know, I may destroy you as Michaela Cole's mate in that. Oh, she's my God, great. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I, I remember it well from my many viewings of I May Destroy You. So. Press yeah. me on press day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she's great. But you know who the real. Rupert Penry Jones, who, as yep. I mentioned in my interview with Martin Compton, is unbelievably buff. He's 51. He's 50 fucking one. He's like a ripped muscle man. Um, he's really good. But 
the real revelation is Bouquet Kumur, who plays this character, Wendy, who I don't think appears until episode two, so you may not have seen her yet, either of you, but she is phenomenal as this really weird, kind of freaky young woman who gets embroiled in the situation, and I can't say anything more because yeah. it will spoil it. This mysterious figure, and she is insane, and absolutely goes for it. And I, she is phenomenal, honestly. She's great. She was in Honor on ITV, which was the true story of on, Honor killing, and she played um, that the set, that 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 character in that show. In that, that was a true story. She's again completely transformed in this, and she is really funny and weird and entertaining. So, from all those reasons, yeah, very much on board with it. Unsurprisingly. What I like very much about this is it has that real novel adaptation structure to it, which yeah. I think we discussed a little bit earlier. It has that sense of being very, very tightly plotted, very, very tightly constructed within the constraints of a novel. And it really brought to mind, partly stylistically, maybe it's tonally, but it's definitely in terms of its structure, it brought to mind Sarah Pimbra's, um, the Sarah Pimbra adaptation yes. behind her eyes. Although, and I'm assuming slightly less batshit than that, but <laughs> I don't see how you could get more batshit than that. But, <laughs> but yeah, it has, a, it has a dash of that to it. So I'm not sure, like, when I was watching this, I was thinking, I feel like to call this show a guilty pleasure is a disservice to the show a little bit mm. because it's not trash. It's It has hints of, like, slight trash in the stuff, but not in a bad way. It's like... I I think, but it has that guilty. But it's just like I am enjoying this enormously. I possibly shouldn't be, but I really am, uh, and I have to watch the rest of it. So, yeah. Well, as anyone knows, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure because you shouldn't feel guilty about anything. It's just so a pleasure. Any, any, it's just, yeah, a, it's just pleasure. a pleasure. It's just a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Our House then is on ITV on Monday tonight, March 7th at 9pm. And boy, stripped is it across has, the week. Stripped, stripped across, across the week. week. Monday Watch it every Thursday. night this week. Every yep. night this week on ITV mm-hmm. at 9. Uh, what else is out this week? Well, I have a confession to make. And that's that The Last Kingdom, the final season of The Last Kingdom, airs on Wednesday on March the 9th, drops on Netflix. And they made episodes available to me. And you know how much I love The Last Kingdom. And my in my eternal magnanimity said to Beth, we won't review it because I won't put you through that. <laughs> so I, I said, it's fine, but I will Hero. watch them because of course I will watch them and I will talk about them at length. But I've had such a nightmarish week. I have not had a chance to watch The Last Kingdom. So Uttrind of Bebenberg could be doing wonderful things and I have absolutely no idea what he's doing because I've not had a chance to watch it and I'm I'm really really sad about that I mean on the plus side it means I've got an excellent weekend ahead of me but uh, yeah I, I haven't seen it yet so I can't tell you what The Last Kingdom final season is like sorry that is, that is a blow oh. I'm shocked and appalled I have to say yeah I'm sh- you I should mean, be. Yeah, yeah it's awful um, but what else have we missed this week Boydie well it's quite. Is my brilliant friend is back? You know the Elena, Elena Ferrante adapt adaptation ah, on yes. season three uh, of the that. HBO. Yeah, Sky Atlantic. That's season three. That starts on Thursday on Sky Atlantic. There's a one-off drama on Monday, BBC Three called Life and Death in the Warehouse, which is from the people who did Killed by My Debt, Murdered by My Father. You know those kind of dramatized um, stories. Mm. Quite, you wouldn't be able to deal with them, James, because they're quite distressing. Um, okay, no hard uh, pass. Yeah, this one is set in a in a warehouse um, situation, you know, a delivery warehouse type thing, um, which is where lots of people have to work now because they can't find any other jobs. And it looks at what the exploitative nature of that and what that can how that can end up. Um, that's interesting. Um, what else is there? There is upload the new series of that. Remember that that Greg oh, Daniels yes. yeah thing that's back on Friday on Prime Video. Yeah, yeah, Didn't like yeah. That. We were, I think we were a bit mad. We were all a bit mad about that. Um, I have to say, season seven of Grantchester lands on ITV this week. Yes, you are correct. It does. 
100% on Friday, that is, on uh, on Channel 4. I think that, no, channel, sorry, on ITV. I think that might be about it. Okay, right. Well, that is this week. What's our pick of the week? I genuinely don't know what you guys are going to come up with this one. I'm sticking with it by principle alone. Witchfinder, more 28-minute episodes, please. Witchfinder for me, <laughs> Just yeah. because it's short. Yes. Because it's short. It's short and Amazing. really funny as well and really good. Yeah. Is that yours as well, Boyd? Yes. The Witchfinder. Really? Yeah, I like the others, but Witchfinder is, is fantastic. My pick of the week will be ITV Guilty Pleasure, Our House. <laughs> wow. Who'd have thought? Yes, Lord. <laughs> that is amazing, yeah. I know. Yeah. It is a strange day, a very strange day indeed. But uh, <laughs> on that particular note, uh, I guess that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please shower us with positive reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please. Uh, and also follow us at Pilot TV Pod for more of this nonsense throughout the week. Uh, I'm at James C. Dyer. These two are at Boyd Hilton and at Beth K. Webb. Next week, there will be shows, including, I think, Apple's We Crash. And I've checked the embargo, and Anne Hathaway's new series with Jared Leto does not fall under Apple's often tight embargo schedule, so we should be able to review that next week. So that's quite exciting. Um, in the meantime, I shall be bidding a fond farewell to the good folk of Ramsey Street. Justice for Ginger Clive. Pilot out. <laughs>